Well, again, good morning to you. I'm Camper Monday, associate pastor here, and I also would like to welcome those of you who are visiting. Uh, glad to have you with us this Thanksgiving weekend. For those of you who are regulars here, you know that we've been working our way through the kingdom parables of Matthew 13. And we've been looking in particular at the kingdom of God and how the kingdom of God is all about the gospel. A gospel rooted, a gospel-centered life, the gospel at work in us and then at work through us. And the kingdom of God is rooted in something essential, rooted in something central to the gospel. And it's something that we'll consider today as our story this morning unfolds. Our text this morning is Genesis chapter 15, uh, verses 1 through 18. If you're using the Pew Bible, you'll find it on page 10. Genesis 15. Let's take a moment to pray before we hear God's word. We come to you this morning, O Lord, and we give you thanks. Thanks for the new life that we have in Christ. Thanks for your provision for us and our very great need. Thanks for the privilege that it is to gather together and to worship you. And we give you thanks for your word, which is living and active. And we pray this morning that you, through your word, would pierce our hearts. Oh Lord, open your word to us, us to your word, and change us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now I invite you, hear the word of God from Genesis chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And the Lord brought Abram outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall be your offspring. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord accounted it to him as righteousness. And the Lord said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out, of, out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? The Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And Abram brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, 
And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land. This is the word of God, given to us for our good and his glory. And so to it we turn. Well, as you allow yourself to enter into this story, uh, it probably strikes you that it is quite bizarre. Uh, Not something that we uh, uh, think about necessarily every day, but a, a bizarre scene, and even beyond that, a very weighty scene. If we really enter in, we can feel the the heaviness, the darkness within the the story that is unfolding before us. And then in these couple of verses at the end, verses 17 and 18, we encounter that central something that I mentioned earlier. A central truth, a central act, a central reality on which the whole gospel stands. Again, verses 17 and 18. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Well, here we encounter the word covenant. Covenant. But what is a covenant? I mean, if someone were were to ask you, Hey, you, you go to Grace Covenant, don't you? I'm, I'm you know, familiar with the word grace, but, but what's a covenant? How would you respond? Well, covenant, it, it's a tough concept for, for us because we really don't have anything in our culture like the ancient Near Eastern covenants. And yet, covenant is central to the gospel, foundational to it. Now, for us today, we're much more familiar with contracts and consumer relationships than we are with covenants. Now, contracts and consumer relationships are fine. In fact, they can be very helpful. When Heather and I moved here, we bought a house. We had a contract on the house. It protected us as the buyer. It protected the seller. More than that, it also provided a structure for a legal transaction to take place. And at the heart of a contract is the protection of the individual self, one's rights. So in this case, the protection of Heather and me, and then the protection of the seller. I don't know the seller. haven't seen the seller since. But a covenant is something much more profound. A covenant is more than a contract, though not less. 
You see, a covenant is founded on relationship. Relationship is the focus, not the individual self. A covenant is a solemn binding agreement between two parties joining them together. Not that they would be separate, protected as individuals, but that they would be brought together in relationship. And within a covenant, there are expectations, commitments. There are benefits if the covenant is kept. There are consequences if the covenant is not kept. Ancient Near Eastern covenants, this was referred to as covenant blessings and curses. When a couple gets married, it's supposed to be a covenant. But unfortunately, in our society today, it's too often merely viewed as a contract. From a biblical perspective, the marriage covenant is glorious and also very weighty. Because it's much bigger than either of those individuals. It brings them together, unites them in something bigger than themselves. Well, thinking about the the weightiness of the marriage covenant... I was reminded of a a weighty scene in my own life. It was June 1995, and I was at the wedding of a childhood friend. Now, I had been to many weddings before, uh, grew up going to weddings. Weddings were familiar, but this one felt different. This one felt especially weighty in a way that I had never felt before. Now, why? Well, because of something that had happened just a few weeks earlier. Because in the previous month, I had asked Heather to marry me. So now I was at this wedding and experiencing it as one who was engaged to be married. And I remember watching this bride and this groom as they faced each other. And as they shared vows and promises. And I listened carefully. And I could feel not only the glory of what was happening in front of me, but the weight of it. And I remember the question going through my mind. Can I do this? Can I really do this? Well, as a pastor, I get to be a part of weddings. Uh, One of my great joys, in fact, I just officiated a wedding uh, last weekend. Good to see the newlyweds with us. A beautiful, glorious event and also weighty. I think about uh, the the moment that that Joel and Susie were facing each other. When they exchanged their vows and rings. Words and symbols of a determined choice. To love, to honor, to serve one another. Forsaking all others. Being faithful as long as they both shall live. The covenant of marriage. It's a covenant that's often sealed with these words. Maybe these are familiar with you. With all that I am and all that I have, I give myself to you and I honor you. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A covenant that is beautiful. A covenant that is weighty. Well, in Genesis 15, we encounter a covenant. In fact, we encounter one that is much more beautiful and much weightier than we could ever imagine. Uh, but first, briefly, let me give a, a little bit of background before we look specifically at God's covenant with Abram uh, here in Genesis 15. 
The essence of God's covenant is repeated over and over and echoed throughout Scripture. In fact, these very words were in our confession uh, of sin today. God speaking, I will be your God and you will be my people. Do you hear the joining together? I will be your God, you will be my people, united. Well, as I think about God's covenant with his people, uh, I think about the, the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments given in Exodus chapter 20, uh, the law of God. But if you back up just one chapter, chapter 19, God says this. If you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. In other words, if you keep my covenant, you shall be my people. And at that point in Exodus 19, the people respond, yes, we can. Yes, we will do it. A biblical covenant, solemn binding agreement between God and his people. In Genesis 12, God promises to bless Abram, later to be called Abraham. And God declares, I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. All nations on earth will be blessed through you. Blessed to be a blessing. And then we come to our peculiar scene, Genesis 15. God makes this covenant with Abram. First, God takes Abram outside, tells him to look up. Abram, can you number the stars in the sky? Of course, he couldn't. Millions upon millions of stars. And then God says, Abram, so shall be your offspring. And then God tells Abram to do that, that peculiar thing. God tells Abram to bring him a young cow, a female goat, a ram, a dove, and a young pigeon. And so Abram goes out and collects these animals. Probably took a few hours, but Abram goes, obedient to God's instruction, collects these animals. But then, without God saying anything more, Abram takes these animals that he has collected and he cuts them open. He cuts the animals in half, placing each half opposite the other and forming an aisle an aisle between these slaughtered animal pieces. Now, why would Abram do that? I mean, God hasn't even told him to do this. He's just told him to collect the animals. But Abram's collected and cut. Why? Well, to us, we might be a little confused, but Abram, not at all. Because Abram, nothing more needed to be said. He understood exactly what was happening. He knew that God was making a covenant with him, a solemn binding agreement with their relationship at its center. Now, we live in a, a written record-keeping culture. Uh, nowadays, of course, electronic data stored for us. But the ancient Near East, uh, an oral storytelling uh, culture, uh, visual, and so... They, they told stories to communicate, to illustrate. In fact, they would enact stories. And this is the way that you entered into communication with one another. And so in this act that is unfolding uh, before us, we have a beautiful and a weighty story. The story of the gospel. 
So let's, let's pick up again, uh, just for a moment, verse 12. Uh, this is after Abraham or Abram has cut and arranged the animal pieces, and now he is waiting, waiting on God. Picking up verse 12. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there. They will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. Then verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot, And a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Or more literally, on that day, the Lord cut a covenant with Abram. Now, if you really allow your imagination to enter into this story you realize that we have an extremely graphic scene. Uh, This is not rated G. It's not for the light of heart. This is at least PG-13. Because we have slaughtered animals. Uh, We have have blood. We have something to us, again, bizarre happening in front of us. And the sad thing is we often want to skip over the graphic nature of the gospel. But if we do, we miss the depth of it. In fact, I I was sad to learn just a few years ago that some churches have removed uh, a hymn, a classic hymn, from their hymnals uh, because of its graphic nature. Uh, Many churches have removed William Cowper's classic, There is a Fountain. First verse speaking so clearly of the gospel and also its graphic nature. There is a fountain filled with blood. Drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. Well, here we have a graphic scene. And in this scene, there is an expression of relational exclusivity. I will be your God, you will be my people, we will be one. But also in this act, there is a dramatization of the consequences of covenant breaking. If one of the parties is not faithful to the other, the penalty for breaking covenant. We get a sobering look at it in Jeremiah 34. God declares, The men who have violated my covenant and have not fulfilled the terms of the covenant that they made before me, I will treat like the calf that they cut in two and then walked between its pieces. In other words, if you do not keep this covenant, may you be like these animals. Okay. Here is the piece we cannot miss. Here's, this is, here is the gospel. I don't want you to miss this because as this, as this covenant is being cut, 
There are two stunning occurrences that at first glance we would not pick up. Two stunning occurrences. First is this. Rarely, if ever, did a king pass through the cut pieces. But here, God himself, appearing as billowing smoke and a a blazing torch, God passes through these cut animals. Second, a king's subjects, the, the lesser party, always passed through the pieces. But here, Abram does not. God does not allow Abram to walk down that aisle between those cut pieces of animal. Do you see what's happening as this covenant is being cut? God is taking the covenant oath for both of them. He's taking the covenant oath for for both of them. In other words, God says, if I fail, yes, I pay the penalty. But if you fail, I will pay the penalty. I will bless you no matter what, Abram. Even if I have to be torn to pieces, even if I must spill my blood, I will bless you no matter what. In other words, grace. Grace. God taking what we deserve and giving us what we don't deserve. God giving us life when we deserve death. Because here's the deal. In our sin, because of our sin, we're we're unable to obey God, unable to keep His covenant. We cannot be good enough. We will never meet God's standards. And I'm not just talking about bad deeds. Because reliance on our good deeds is infinitely offensive sin toward a perfect, holy God. In fact, as another pastor points out, those who seek God's acceptance through performance reject the cross of Christ. In and of ourselves, we are all in the same sinking boat because of our sin, unable to obey God, unable to keep His covenant, thus Unable to be in relationship with him. The very thing we were created for. But the good news. The cross of Christ. As Paul declares in Galatians 3 on the cross. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. By becoming a curse for us. So that in Christ Jesus. The blessing of Abraham might come to all peoples. 2 Corinthians 5, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Or as one commentator put it, God fulfilled the conditions of the law so that he could love us unconditionally. Jesus' perfect life earned blessing Jesus' sacrificial death took the curse so that we could receive that blessing. Do you hear the glory? And do you hear the weight at the same time? A God who in love comes after us and ensures that the covenant will be fulfilled. And our capacity to understand grace... 
Our capacity to understand grace will always be a function of our understanding of what it cost God to be gracious to us. And that's why we can never lose sight of the weight of what it cost. A few years ago, just as I did with you earlier in this sermon, I was just randomly asking folks around the church, what's a covenant? How would you respond? What's a covenant? And I remember uh, coming up to Jamie Wilmoth. I said, so Jamie, how would you respond? What, what's a covenant? See Richard back there? I don't see Jamie here to answer. So I'll answer for her. But I remember Jamie looked at me, and with a smile on her face, she said, Camper, a covenant is a relationship that God establishes with his people and guarantees by his word. And then she went on to explain that that very definition comes out of our children's catechism, out of the summary of our doctrine of faith that is being taught to our children just down the hall. And I couldn't think of a better way to summarize this gospel truth. A covenant is a relationship that God establishes with his people and guarantees by his word, the living word, Jesus Now, if you're a student of theology, you know that this covenant is referred to as God's covenant of grace or God's grace covenant, hence the name of our church. You see, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is poured out and poured out abundantly through this covenant. This is the gospel and everything rests on this covenant. Everything in the Christian life springs from this beautiful and weighty union with God. I will be your God. You will be my people. I guarantee it in Jesus. Now, I shared with you just a little while ago about a wedding that I attended right after getting engaged. uh, Being overwhelmed, feeling the the weight of that and, and having that question go through my mind. Can I do this? Can I really make those vows and promises? Well, shortly after Heather and I got married, the answer came to me loud and clear. We were at the wedding of a a friend. I remember the father of the bride stood up to give a toast. And after a bit of humor, he got very serious. And he looked at this couple and he said, Tomorrow you will make a covenant with each other, before God and his people. You will make vows and promises that you cannot keep apart from the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ poured out on us, poured out into us and through us, working its way deeper and deeper that we might become more And more like Jesus. And like Abram. We enter this covenant. Through faith. Trusting God. Taking him at his word. Through faith. In Christ alone. Through faith. We are given. Christ's fidelity. To the covenant. You see Jesus. Is our covenant keeper. That's the good news for us. He is our covenant keeper. And this is the heart of the gospel. 
Again, everything in the Christian life springs from this beautiful and weighty covenant of grace. Everything. Every turn in repentance, every step of faith, no matter how small or how large, every act of obedience, everything flows from this grace. The Christian life being rooted in and empowered by the gospel. The gospel that is at work in us, changing us continually. The gospel that is at work through us, compelling us out into the world, compelling us toward one another. The gospel of God's grace. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. We thank you, our good and gracious God. We thank you for this covenant that you made with us, that that you cut for us, this covenant that you kept for us, this covenant of grace. And we ask that by the power of your spirit, you would work the gospel of grace deeper and deeper into our hearts. O Lord, we believe, help our unbelief, change us, transform us, compel us by grace, through faith, we pray, and we give you thanks, in Jesus' name.